2: Hello, this is Owen Bennett-Jones. I've spent the last 30 years interviewing some of the world's most successful people. From CEOs to heads of state, they've all been faced with tough choices, and sometimes failure or success came down to a single decision. In my new series, Make or Break, I'll be speaking to remarkable people who reached a moment when they just had to make up their mind. With guests spanning across the business world, We'll unpack those critical moments and explore how these CEOs and entrepreneurs managed uncertainty. I'm joined by Liz Lang.
0: Nike actually did come to me and they said, we choose not to sell to a mass store like Target. We do not want our swoosh there. And we don't want one of our partners selling there. So we will not be continuing with our contract. I loved my Nike deal. It was fantastic. I loved being in all the Nike town stores. And at the time, there were these Nike goddess stores all around the country that were just for women. I loved making personal appearances in their stores. It was very prestigious. It was a lot of fun. It was not rolling in dollars. It was making money. But there was no comparison between what they were offering me and what Target was offering me. So I made that decision. Then Saks said the same thing. We will not have Liz Lang shop and shops in our Saks and also Liz Lang boutiques within Target stores. No way, no how. And I said, okay, Saks, that's fine. Target was also offering much more than just floor space and dollars. Target was offering to put signage above all eight Liz Lang maternity racks in all of their thousands of stores around the country. Picture of me and my then younger children uh, basically saying Liz Lang maternity is the premier maternity brand on the planet.
2: I'm joined by Gerald Ratner, once hailed as the king of bling. Thank you, Mr. President, for asking me to address such a prestigious audience. It all seemed to be going perfectly well. Reading the reaction from the room, he never suspected that two jokes from his speech would change the course of his life forever. We even sell a pair of earrings for under a pound, gold earrings as well. And some people say, well, that's cheaper than a prawn sandwich from Marks and Spencers. But I have to say, the sandwich will probably last longer than the earrings, but no. Anyway. <laughs> I'll be speaking to Jan Christian Vestra. And just to be clear, what you consider hostile design in the case of a bench would be a an armrest or a spike to prevent someone sleeping on it. Yeah, so uh, hostile
1: designs or hostile architecture is a strategy that uses elements of the built environment to uh, guide or restrict behavior in order to prevent crime, protect uh, property. That's often what they say and often how they argue, but uh, it targets people who use or rely on public uh, space more than others, such as youth and the homeless. And it could be whatever kind of objects designed to keep some people away, could be uh, spikes, could be uh, armrests, uh, making benches uncomfortable or impractical or even worse, impossible to, to sleep on or to, to, to lay on, uh, and other kind of installations. And we do see hostile designs and hostile
2: architects all over the world, actually. In my new series, Make or Break, I'll be speaking to remarkable people who reached a moment when they just had to make up their mind. If you've enjoyed listening to our podcast and felt inspired by some of the leaders you heard making tough decisions in make-or-break situations, then you may want to equip yourself with the skills and capabilities to make your own difficult decisions in these uncertain times. If so, the Open University's micro-credential, Management of Uncertainty, Leadership, Decisions and Action, is designed for you.